Good morning, Hope Church. Good morning. It is good to see everybody here this morning. This is the church service that almost did not happen, as we heard from, from Steve earlier. But for those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul Hahnemann. I'm one of the commission pastors here. And it is a pleasure and an honor and a humbling opportunity to come and share the Word of God with you today and journey through the Word of God as the family of Christ. Before we do that, though, I want to show you a slide. Next one, please. You know who this is? Benjamin Franklin. Of course, his face is on the $100 bill. You know the phrase, Show me the Benjamins. That's where we get it. He's on the $100 bill. He was, of course, one of our founding fathers. Amazing individual. Eclectic individual, man of many talents. Uh, Over the course of his life, he was a publisher. He was a philosopher, an inventor, a scientist, a civic leader, an educator, He founded the college that is today the University of Pennsylvania and served as one of its first presidents. He was a public servant. Under British rule, he was the postmaster general of the colonies. He was also speaker of the Pennsylvania Assembly at the Continental Congress, served as the governor of Pennsylvania for a term. Later in his life, he became a vocal abolitionist, spoke out against slavery. He went to the Constitutional Convention and gave a passionate speech against slavery. This picture at the bottom, the one in the center, that's a statue of Benjamin Franklin sitting in a chair. I want to open it up to the congregation. Where do you think that statue is? Just... Where? Philadelphia. Great guess. No, it's not even in the state of Pennsylvania. Great guess, though. Where else might it be? Oh, I heard it. France. That statue is in Paris, France. You see, in 1776, Benjamin Franklin went to France, and he lived there for nine years as our first ambassador to France. And there, with all of his skill he was able to negotiate with Louis XVI financial support and military support for our young country trying to throw off the shackles of George III and British rule. Now, how he got one monarch to go against another monarch is amazing, but he did it. I guess Louis's disdain for George was such that he thought that he could get a one-up on, on the Brits by siding with us. But nonetheless, all of that brokered by Benjamin Franklin. More about Ben in a little while. Two weeks ago, we went through all of Psalm 51. And and oh, by the way, Marilyn came up to me during greetings and said, you're not going to scare us today, are you? So I promise you there are no whistles, there are no air horns, there are no pyrotechnic explosions. There's nothing that is going to startle you today. Today we're going to spend the whole time in the Word of God. We're actually going to cover a lot of Scripture today. 
So I want to draw your attention to the bulletins, um, to the sermon notes that were handed out. Pull those out, grab your Bibles, and really, folks, we are going to hit a lot of Scripture today. Um, Last, two weeks ago when we went through Psalm 51, we touched on this concept of original sin and how we're born in sin. And at that time, I promised you that if you come back today, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about our identities in Christ Jesus, who we are as Christians. I hope that by the time we get to the end of this message that you take a couple nuggets, a couple gems that challenge you and are cause for reflection um, later in the week. But before we look at our identities in Christ, let's look at some common universals among humankind. And let's go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are all image bearers of God. We all bear the fingerprints of his creativity upon us. So this isn't talking about a physical sense. This is talking about things like our moral constitution. We are moral creatures. We have uh, a sense of right and wrong. We can make moral judgments and moral decisions. Um, Paul calls that inherent sense of right and wrong the law written upon our hearts. It's pretty universal across the, the human race. Wherever you go, we know it's wrong to murder somebody. Yes? That's part of being created in God's image. Another part of that is our creativity. We like to create things. We like to do things. And we see this in the arts, music, literature, painting, dance, poetry. But we also see it in the sciences, in mathematics, engineering. We love to build things, these amazing things. We've sent other human beings to the moon. I mean, we do some pretty amazing things. Again, those are all indicators of the fact that we are created in God's image. In Judeo-Christian ethics, it is that image-bearing of God that gives all of us inherent value. So from the womb to the tomb... Image bearers of God have inherent value. We have inherent value because God's fingerprints are upon us. And as such, we are to treat one another with respect. For this is God's work that we bear his fingerprints. Going ahead a couple chapters in Genesis, we come up to the fall And two of the biggest lies that were ever perpetrated upon the human race. In Genesis 3, we read, and this is Satan um, courting Eve. But the serpent said to the woman, here's lie number one, you will surely not die. God already told them they would die. And Satan goes on, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened And here's lie number two, and you will be like God, knowing good 
and evil. You will be like God. That is, that is the root of pride. That is the, I'm the man. It's all about me. I decide what's right and wrong. I am going to do things that glorify myself. I am going to exercise my power over other people. Because it's all about me. That is the, the fault of you will be like God. As we saw a couple weeks ago, through that sin, death was handed down to all of humanity over the course of history. Death entered humanity at that point that separated us from God. Paul wrote in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Even in Romans 5, he went as far as to say that before we were Christians, we were enemies with God. Enemies, that's powerful, powerful language. So where are these paradoxes? We are created in God's image with inherent value. We have these amazing abilities and capacities. But yet we have this sin in this death problem that has to be dealt with. We can still do good, but when we stand in the presence of an infinitely holy and just God, one little sin forfeits us. God, because he is just, must judge that sin and execute judgment upon us. So we have a dilemma, and really God has a dilemma. He loves us. He wants to be in relationship with us, but he is a just and righteous judge, and because of who he is, he has to judge. He has to penalize that sin. So there's a little bit of a dilemma going on there. I did not read all of that verse from Romans chapter 6. Let me read the whole thing to you. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does that happen? What's the mechanism by which that happens? Well, first of all, Jesus had to come. The promised Messiah who was prophesied about from the beginning of the New Testament all the way through had to come. God incarnate, the perfect man, God himself donning human flesh and walking among us. And he loved us so much that he took our place on the cross. He died the death that we deserve. He incurred the judgment that we deserve. So he was our substitute. He substituted himself for us that he could pay that penalty of God's, make up that sin deficit with God. That's how much Christ loved us. So how does that happen? How do we get that gift of eternal life, that free gift of eternal life? Well, let's look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That book is John's Gospel in the New Testament. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is actually the thematic statement, the purpose statement of the entire Gospel of John. If you pull out your highlighter and start reading through the Gospel of John, and you highlight every time you come across the word believe, belief, belief, you're going to light up the pages of your Bible. This is the theme of John's Gospel. Um, Paul says something similar in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been, here's this faith, belief thing again, Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we trust him and the work that he did on the cross on our behalf, that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. Being justified by faith means that we are made righteous, in God's sight when we place our faith in Christ. So when we place our faith in Christ, we move from death to life. We move from being enemies of God to having peace with God. Remember this verse from two weeks ago. We looked at this and in and broke it apart a little bit. But this is Paul writing to the Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved, there it is again, through faith. And this, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we often get it wrong. We think if we do good things, we're going to be in good standing in God's presence. But no, no, no. The Bible teaches just the opposite, that when we get right with God, we do good things because we're right with God. Okay, that's what Paul is, is saying in this passage. But here we find the first point of our identity in Christ Jesus. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's who you are as a Christian. Paul also brings us to our second point, our second point of identity in Christ. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. He wrote to the Corinthians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Bought with a price on the cross. That's Christ on the cross. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So when we place our faith in Christ and trust his work on the cross, accept his forgiveness. The Holy Spirit possesses us, takes residence in us, 
literally. And over time, the Holy Spirit starts gently teaching us, guiding us, leading us into those good works, but sanctifying us, making us more and more like God as the years and years pass. The Holy Spirit inside us will convict us. So when we fall into sin, the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts to make it right, to seek forgiveness as we journey down the road of sanctification with God. So that's the Holy Spirit. As Christians, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The third point, we are children of God and Abraham's offspring. Let's go back to the Gospel of John, but this time in the very famous first chapter of John. John wrote, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, there's that faith thing again, who believed in the name of Christ, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of the will of God. You are children of God, born of his will. Paul says something very similar in Galatians. He writes, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Ladies, that means you are daughters of God. Here it is again, through faith. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We are children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. Jesus is the Son of God. So if Jesus is the Son of God, and we are sons and daughters of God, that would mean that Jesus is our brother, in a sense. Have you ever thought of that? That Jesus would be our brother? Something to ponder. Jesus, many times throughout Scripture, refers to his followers as his brothers, noting that kinship. What's this thing about Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise? That's a little strange, but let's dive into that a little bit. Remember who Abraham was? Right? He's the father, the first Hebrew patriarch called by God ironically, at a time when he didn't have any children and he was 100 years old, called by God to start this great nation. Well, over the course of many years, God revealed many promises, set up a covenant with Abraham, and that included many things. One was land, uh, one was a a descendant, um, a child. Um, Another was that um, through... Abraham's offspring, that God would create an everlasting, eternal covenant with his offspring. 
and that Abraham's, Abraham's offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the beach. And he promised Abraham, through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth, all of the nations of the earth. Folks, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those promises to Abraham. It is through Christ that all of the nations of the earth are blessed. So, as you place your faith in Christ, you are an heir of that promise, that covenantal promise that God made to Abraham. You are one of those stars in the night sky. You are one of those grains of sand that God mentioned. Point number four, the Bible teaches that we are a new creation in Christ. Again, writing to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Growing up in Maine, in the small town where, where I lived, I was what the school district called a walker. That means that my parents' house is close enough to the school such that a bus didn't come through our neighborhood. I had to walk, you know, between a quarter, half mile to school every day. That was a lot of fun in the winter with three feet of snow and 20 degrees and a 30-mile-an-hour wind whipping off the Atlantic Ocean. But our path to school went through this little forested area and then out into this big field before we got to the school. And in the springtime, when we walked through that field, there were milkweeds all over it, milkweeds growing up out of the field. And on those milkweeds were monarch caterpillars. And we used to take those caterpillars and a handful of milkweeds and go home and put them into a jar and punch holes in the top so they could breathe and, and, and watch the caterpillars become chrysalis and then become these beautiful monarch butterflies. So let's say that I take one caterpillar and say his name is Fred. I take Fred and I put him in the jar. I watch him do his thing and he spins his cocoon and out of that chrysalis comes this beautiful butterfly. That's still Fred. In essence, Fred was the caterpillar. In an essence, Fred was the butterfly. But Fred has been transformed completely. He has been changed completely. He is a new creation, even though my caterpillar Fred has changed his form. That's kind of what it's like when we become new creations in the Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a spiritual regeneration a new birth, a new relational standing with God from enemies to peace to children of God to the workmanship of God. That's all part of being this new creation in Christ. Finally, we are ambassadors for Christ. Again, writing to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, that's their sins, against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we become the righteousness of God. That is amazing. So when we accept Christ and are forgiven, it's as though Jesus comes up to us and he throws his robe of righteousness and purity and holiness over us so that when we stand in the presence of God, All he sees is Christ's reflection of purity and holiness and blamelessness shining back at him. We become the righteousness of God. We also become ambassadors for Christ. In verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we read early in the verse that God gives us this ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled with God. Our trespasses, our sins are not counted against us. And God gives us this ministry of reconciliation. All of you, those of you who are Christians, have this ministry of reconciliation. And as such, you are an ambassador for Christ. So Benjamin Franklin was our ambassador to France, pleading the case of the new colonies in North America. But as Christians, you are the ambassadors of Jesus to this dying and upside-down crazy world that is outside the doors of Hope Church. God has entrusted you with that message of reconciliation. That's just amazing. That... That is humbling and daunting to me, all at the same time. And you don't have to be standing up here on Sunday morning preaching to be a minister of reconciliation, to be ambassador of Christ. You are an ambassador of Christ no matter where you are and where you go in life, in your workplace, in your families, in your neighborhoods, when you're walking through the mall, when you go to a restaurant, you are an ambassador for Christ. He's entrusted you with that message. Amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing. Indeed, Benjamin Franklin was an eclectic and extraordinary individual of many talents. As we saw, he had many roles, many identities that he took on over the course of his life from Philosopher, publisher, writer, statesman, educator, ambassador, abolitionist, all these things that that he took on. But in a similar way, 
we as Christians have multiple facets to our identity in Christ, multiple roles that we play as people who have been forgiven, who have been given new life, who have moved from death to life in Christ. So today I ask you, when you stand in front of the mirror, do you see the workmanship of God who is, who is to walk in good works standing before you? Do you see a new creation who is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you see a child of God? Do you see the offspring of Abraham? Do you see an heir of Abraham's covenantal promise? Do you see an ambassador for Christ? Do you see the righteousness of God looking back at you in the mirror? Perhaps you look into the mirror and you see somebody looking back at you who has never placed their trust in God, to whom all of this seems alien. And if that's you... I implore you, I appeal to you, put your trust in Christ. If you feel that welling in your heart, in your mind, something's tugging on you today, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. I encourage you, don't let that feeling sit. Don't let those thoughts sit. Come and talk to me after service. We'll grab a bite to eat, get a cup of coffee, come pray with the prayer servants. Come in and talk to Pastor Greg. Just don't let that, that nudging, that urge slip away. For those of you who are Christians, who have already taken that step in faith with Christ, you are children of God. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You are his ambassadors. You are Christ's ambassadors in this dying world. You are the righteousness of God. If somebody tells you any different, they're lying to you. We've seen it from the word of God today. You'll walk out these doors and you'll be bombarded with a bunch of different images and messages about who you are, who you should be, who everybody wants you to be. Nonsense. We have looked at who we are in Christ today, and so hold on to that because there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of lies flying around there about who you are. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to leave today pondering this stuff, considering this stuff, because God saved you for a reason, for a purpose. He has a purpose for your life. He loves you. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. His Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are his ambassadors. So I challenge you to embrace your eclectic identity and the roles that you have as a Christian. I challenge you to embrace your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray, please. Father in heaven, we, uh, we again thank you that 
we could assemble today and worship you and sing to you and pray and journey through your word. Lord Jesus, you have indeed made a way for us to walk from death to life, from being enemies to being at peace with you, and we we thank you for that, Lord. We ask, Lord, that by the, the presence and abundance of your Spirit, that you would meet each of us where we are, that you would cultivate in us um, faithful servants, faithful ambassadors, faithful children of God, Lord God. And, and we ask that you do all of this for your glory and your glory alone. Thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. And we pray all of this in your holy name. Amen.